The following episode contains several depictions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. When I was a kid, I noticed that my parents would stop talking to each other. And then in my teenage years, I noticed that they would vocally start expressing very spiteful words. So my mum would start it up by criticising him. And then my dad would get reactive and start calling her names and say that she's stupid and useless as well. And um, the things that my dad would do, so for example, in the warehouse, he would uh, throw buckets or he would throw things at her and at home he would get a chair and try to throw a chair at her and I was just crying in the corner. I felt like this enormous amount of anxiety like overwhelming me to the point where if I let the overwhelm take me out, I could easily become crazy. Welcome to Screwed Up Moments, the podcast where it's okay to fail and it's okay to try again. I'm your host, Danny. Home is where our story begins. Home is the starting place of love, hope, and dreams. Home is where love resides, memories are created, friends always belong, and laughter never ends. You see these kinds of platitudes almost everywhere, in books and magazines, in television and film, or in posts on social media. Indeed, home is one of those fuzzy, universal concepts that can resonate with just about anyone. Mention the word and you will recall many a precious memory, the time you celebrated your 10th birthday, those Christmas mornings opening presents, family time in front of the TV, or even the warm embraces before you go to bed. Home is comfort, home is security, home fulfills our natural inclination to belong. But here's the thing about home. While everyone has a sense of belonging, not everyone belongs at home. There are those who are less fortunate, where home is the focal point of resentment rather than the starting place of love, where home is the birthplace of trauma rather than where you create memories. And instead of being the place where your story begins, home is effectively ground zero for your screwed up moments. In this episode of the Screwed Up Moments podcast, we explore this perspective of home with the story of Jessica Goh, someone whose experience was traumatizing and life-changing to say the least. To put it simply, it was far more complicated than what your basic internet platitude would suggest. Hello, this is Jessica Go, and this is my screwed up moment. I guess uh, I'm Chinese Malaysian, but born and raised in Sydney, Australia. My business is called Life in Confidence, and 
the reason why I've created this business, which is to help people heal and work through their traumatic experiences in relationship abuse and childhood trauma is because of my own personal experiences. And this is why I'm so passionate about helping others to enable their own healing process. And um, if you're asking the question about, you know, where did I come from in terms of my cultural background and family and my past, for me, I was brought up from a family, Chinese Malaysian, immigrated to Australia. And it was a family where I felt I could not be myself and I felt very unsafe to express myself and give my opinions because that was shone upon. Uh, and so the cultural beliefs that I was brought up with is that, you know, being a female is weak. Being a female is seen as a sex object. Being a female, you have to be submissive. And it comes down to the way my parents were raised and how they raised me. I was just curious, um, you know, you said that you're a Malaysian Chinese and that you were born and raised in Sydney, right? Yes. How did you find that uh, experience growing up? Did you find that you assimilated well? I have to say it was a real struggle for me because even though I was born in Australia and you could hear that I have a Aussie accent rather than an Asian accent, mm. um, but for me it was a real struggle to grasp my own identity like I saw myself as Australian but my appearances are Asian and I could find myself having these thoughts that I'm not Asian I'm Australian and um, I just felt so disconnected with my culture I learnt at a very young age that this is the Australian way like this is how this is the mannerisms of Australians. This is the behaviors. This is how you act. This is what you say. This mm. is what you do. And I struggle to connect because the worlds that we live in is like so far off. And uh, I guess with Chinese Malaysians, I can relate to them to some degree because as a little girl um, and a teenager, we had we would have regular family trips to Malaysia to meet our relatives, mm. and that was my way of being immersed in the Malaysian culture. Mm. And I love Malaysia. I, I really do love Malaysia. I love the food. I love the people. I love the culture. Mm-hmm. But in Australia, it's so different. Like it's like you're out on your own and you're out for yourself. So it's a very individual kind of culture. Mm. And I feel there's a lack of that support and community feel in this country because there are so many different cultures and nationalities in this country. And it's just a different way of being. The idea of home, of course, can transcend beyond our physical houses to a sort of national belonging. Except in Jessica's case, even that aspect of her story wasn't so simple. Being born in Australia to Malaysian Chinese immigrants, she was always torn between two sets of cultures, mannerisms and foods. It was, as she noted, just two different ways of being. And to provide more context for the later part of her story, I asked her about the people who, you could say, 
got her into this situation? Her parents. You mentioned that your parents migrated over to Australia, right? Yes. And then you mentioned that they were also bullied uh, when they were in Malaysia, and was that the reason why they came over? Yes. So that's a really great point that you've pointed out. So they've left Malaysia at different ages. Mm. So my dad left Malaysia when he was in his teenage years. So he went to Sydney by himself. And so um, I guess he had to figure out how to do life on his own. He was the youngest of 13 siblings and he was the one who got bullied. Mm. Um, He was bullied for being left-handed. His siblings would smacked him until he could write on his right hand. Like that's how dysfunctional it was. And my mom, she left, I think it was in her 30s, I think. Mm. And uh, she left because she was actually the eldest in the family. She only finished in primary school, I think. And her responsibility was she had to look after her siblings and clean the home and cook and stuff Mm. because it was such a big family. And so um, she was highly criticized by her mom and uh, there was tension with her sisters where they are either jealous of her or they don't like her, whatever it was. And uh, I guess at that age in her early 30s, she decided to move to Sydney and that's where she met my dad. Hmm. So uh, I guess both parents being bullied, being brought up in highly dysfunctional family dynamics, they were criticized and bullied for being someone that they're not. And I guess that's what I learned from my experience with both of my parents is that I shouldn't be who I am. So here were two individuals from Malaysia, both with their own history of dysfunctional families and both migrating to Australia in search of a better life. After they met, Jessica's dad would start a business selling tools in the markets and later roped in family members to help out. They would soon have Jessica and her brother, who was two years younger, and for a while, things just seemed normal. Jessica's parents might have taken great risks to migrate to Australia, sure, but they were working hard and trying to raise a family just like anybody else. Nothing out of the ordinary here. That is, until a particular incident took place. I was eight at that time, and my dad was trying to teach me the timetables, and I just didn't grasp it as fast as he would like me to grasp it. You know, he asked me the question, for example, like, what's 12 times 12? Mm. And I just didn't know the answer. And then when he explained it to me, I just, I still didn't understand. And then he just got frustrated and started yelling at me, you're stupid. You're useless. Mm. How can you not know? And I just froze. I didn't know what to do because I never experienced the way my dad yelled at me with such anger Hmm. and I thought he was going to hit me because of the way he spoke to me, his tonality in his voice and the choice of words. And uh, that's the first time I've ever experienced anxiety because I just felt so terrorized. I felt, oh my God, is he going to hit me because I don't know the timetables? Oh, I really am stupid. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is the big deal here, right? I mean, Asian parents discipline and scream at their kids all the time. My own dad used to hit me with his flip-flops when I didn't finish my homework. It's basically a cultural stereotype at this point. But here's the thing, stereotype or not, there's a reason why that moment was so deeply ingrained in Jessica's memory. I was scared of him. 
my dad, he was just so serious. He's not the type who would show affection or a lot of emotions. He would have this really serious, stern look about himself. And the vibe that he gives out is you're not welcomed. You feel that he's intimidating and dismissive and that he's always right. When I was a kid, I noticed that my parents would stop talking to each other. And then in my teenage years, I noticed that they would vocally start expressing very spiteful words and uh, abusive words. So my mum would start it up by criticising him. And then my dad would get reactive and start calling her names and say that she's stupid and useless as well. And at 16, that's what I noticed, like it was getting pretty full on. And um, the things that my dad would do, so for example, in the warehouse, he would uh, throw buckets or he would throw things at her. And at home, he would get a chair and try to throw a chair at her and start yelling at her and chase after her in the house to try and beat her. I guess at the age of 18, where I finally spoke up for my mum and just said to my dad, stop being a dickhead don't do that to her and he turned and hit me and even though the hitting didn't hurt what hurt me was the emotional pain that he had the guts to hurt me and not really care about what I said to him and to consider the impact that he has with his violence. And what makes matters even worse was my mom would humiliate me and say, why did you say that? You're so stupid to say that. Keep keep things to yourself, mind your own business. And I was just crying and I was just 18. And I thought to myself, what on earth is going on? And my dad just went to his rocking chair in the living room and pretended to sleep and pretended that nothing happened, that it was all normal. And I was just crying in the corner. I felt like this enormous amount of anxiety, like overwhelming me to the point where if I let the overwhelm take me out, I could easily become crazy. So I had to find it really hard to control those emotions and to contain it. And when I went to school the next day, my girlfriend, she wasn't even supportive. She just, she was actually scared by my behavior in terms of I was so disconnected and um, felt very overwhelmed and I was still trying to process what was happening. And she just, I just felt resentment about the way she reacted that she was interested in actually supporting me on a deeper level and just saw it as a way that she was scared and it freaked her out and she decided not to communicate with me. And I thought, that's just ridiculous. Like, I'm your best friend. How could you act that way? So at that point in time, it was like I had no support. So just to clarify, you or your brother, both of you didn't mention this to anyone outside of the family? No one else knew about this? Well, I guess 
my brother he didn't share too much about this kind of stuff. He、mm. he doesn't vocalize it.、Um, he would mention perhaps to his close friends or to his wife or ex girlfriends、uh, that he came from a really messed up family. But、mm. I don't know if he would go into further detail. For myself, I would only share it with very close friends, and I thought that. For me to seek help, it's to do it by myself. Yeah, I didn't even think about seeing a psychologist, a counselor, a life coach, or anything like that. That didn't cross my mind at all, because I was so stuck. Like I felt I was in a cage, and no one else could help me. Did you ever speak to your brother about that period, or did you ever confide in him during those difficult times? How did your brother take it? Uh, during you know those moments, he wasn't involved in it,、mm. and he would go into his room or he would play on his computer. So he would find an escape to shut himself off from what was going on.、Mm. And I, I didn't feel that I connected with him because he was shut off. So I felt he wasn't the right person for me to confide in.、Mm. Yeah, and so in light of all this, right, being that you didn't really connect with your your dad, your brother, and then you know at, at times your mom is also criticizing you as well. Do you think that was the reason why you felt like you had to bear this burden by yourself? Yeah, because I felt like each person in that household had their own problems, and they didn't even know how to. Deal with their problems.、Hmm. Like I even mentioned to my mom, why don't you call the police?、Yeah. Because this is too much now. Like he's throwing stuff at you, he's trying to hit you, he's saying all these things to you, and I feel like I'm in danger, and I feel like she's in danger of herself. Yeah, and he's making financial threats. Like I'm not going to pay for the mortgage anymore.、Um, I'm going to do my own thing. I want to sell the home so I can have my own life. And he was threatening my mum to sell the house, or he will kill her. Like it was just crazy, and she wouldn't do anything about it. She would tolerate it. So you, you or your family, you you never once called the police on this, on any of the incidents that happened. No, I didn't. I was scared that if I called the police, my dad would beat me up. That that that's was my fear that was going on in my head. Yeah. Wow. Almost like you're being held. Hostage, in a way, in our own home. Yeah. When you listen to stories of domestic violence like Jessica's, it can often be difficult to make sense of the situation. You ask questions like, "How does something like this happen? Why does it happen? Who's to blame? Or why didn't anybody do something about it?" Only to be met with more uncertainties and complications. Indeed, even the experts themselves have a hard time trying to figure things out. In an article titled "Factors Contributing to Domestic Violence," the authors opened with the following quote. To answer what causes domestic violence turns out to be a challenging issue. The causes of violent behavior and domestic violence have never been accurately and unequivocally proven. All of this is to say. That domestic violence is an extremely complicated affair, and when you compound the fact of Jessica's parents being immigrants and all of the various stressors and difficulties that come with it, let's just say that fulfilling those romantic notions of home would be an extremely difficult task. But believe it or not, Jessica's story only gets worse from here. So, in similar cases that I've seen, right, in in terms of 
uh, domestic violence, the teenagers or the children, typically when you witness this, they sort of repeat the cycle or end up becoming resentful and, and angry children and they rebel and, you know, they... I don't know, take drugs or, or, or whatever, right? Or do crime. Yeah. Did you rebel or, you know, were you particularly angry in, in, in any way? I would say I was quite rebellious. I had a lot of uh, anger hmm. that I find it hard to express and it would bottle up and explode. And so for me, the way I acted out was that I started to rebel towards my mom. No, I'm not, I don't want to work in the markets. I want to hang out with my girlfriend and go to a party. Mm. Or I would show my anger and start calling her a bitch. I would break a glass bottle and she's like, why did you do that? You know, that's so dangerous. You know, I could have easily just walked over it. And I said, well, yeah, you should because you deserve it. So I was, I was full of anger towards her because she never gave me the freedom to allow myself to explore who I am as a young teenager and a female and um, to explore what life is about rather than just working in the family business. And did you ever act this way towards uh, your dad or your brother? Definitely. I guess with my dad, it wasn't so often, mm. but what I would do instead was I would not talk to him at all. So for two years before he died, I just did not talk to him because I felt so betrayed of what he has done to the family and I felt so betrayed that he is willing to engage with his sex addictions by going to the brothel, bringing my mum's brothers to the brothel as well because they were working in family business. And you know, taking videos of the sexual acts and, you know, he has porn in his office and on his computer. And I just thought to myself, you know, what kind of role model is this? Like someone to be a dad, shouldn't they have more responsibility? Hmm. And I really resented and hated him for doing that. And I just couldn't forgive him at that time. Yeah. And I guess with my brother, I would definitely admit that I bullied him uh, verbally. And with my mom, I guess for me, it was a love-hate relationship with my mom. There were times where I treated her like a queen, where I would um, give her money for her to spend, pay her expenses, yeah. pay the mortgage. And then there were times where I would just swear at her and call her names because I just hated the fact that she keeps asking more and more from me. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine that um, everything just keeps escalating and escalating. And of course, um, you experience uh, sexual abuse as well, right, from your uh, uncles. Could you talk about those incidents, please? Yeah, sure thing. So I guess it was, uh, there was two uncles who came from Malaysia to Sydney to help out the family business and that was requested by my mum and um, I guess it's cheaper that way because we pay well they pay them cash and they get to live under the roof for free and free food one was a dwarf Uh, they lived with with us when I was a little girl until I was in my teenager years and uh, I noticed the dwarf uncle he started to say inappropriate things to me and he because I started to wear mini skirts I guess you know during puberty 
you know, you want to feel like for myself, I want to feel more like a woman. I want to grow up and be a woman because these hormones just start to kick in. So I started to wear mini skirts and dressed um, a lot more, wear a lot more fitted clothes than I normally did in the past. And I wanted to show mm-hmm. off my body more. And uh, my uncle, he started to look at me like scanning his eyes up and down. And uh, he would whistle and he would just say, oh, sexy. And I just felt so disgusted. I, I didn't know what to do at that time. I didn't know that was sexual abuse. I just thought he was just being stupid. And one time in the morning on a weekend, it was myself, my uncle and my mum, we had to drive to the markets. And my mum was driving the van. I was sitting in the middle and my uncle was sitting on the passenger side and he started to touch me inappropriately. He started to touch my thigh. He started to touch my waistline. And I, I didn't know what to do. Like, I, I, I was just frozen. I thought to myself, do I scream? Do I say something to my mom? What do I do? Do I tell him to stop touching me? Like, I just didn't know what to do. And I felt like if I did say something, my uncle would say that you're crazy. Why do you think I'm even saying that? It, it was that that trauma that was showing up. If I was to say something, if I was to speak out, people will say I'm stupid or would say that I'm wrong. Yeah. And so there's this fear. Like I just didn't want to confront the fear that that's what people think of me, but it's not. So it's that trauma repeating over and over again. Hmm. And uh, when I started to see someone sharing this information with them, and it was the first time I've ever shared this information with a professional, he said, that's sexual abuse. And I thought to myself, what? That's sexual abuse? I thought sexual abuse is like being raped. But that's not true. Sexual abuse is when someone is violating your personal space in an inappropriate sexual manner. So it was just really eye-opening for me to see how much of my trauma that I normalized. As you can tell, the whole situation was just getting more and more messed up. As Jessica briefly mentioned, it came to a point where her dad left the home after an argument and refused to continue paying for their mortgage. Even though her mom was still helping out the family business and making a bit of money, it wasn't enough to cover the bills and Jessica had to start working full time while she was only around the age of 20. This would continue for another two years, at which point her dad would pass away from an illness and the family collectively decided to sell their home. But even that part had its own complications. It was really strange because when we were in the process of selling the house, all these weird things happened. There was like termite mountain in front of our house in the garden and we had some really freaky things happening inside the house. So when my dad passed away, we felt his spirit. So one time, it was at nighttime and we came back home and my brother was the first person who walked inside the house. And then in the kitchen, there was a CD player and it started to play this music. It was this old woman singing. And then my mum's like, why did you turn on the CD player? And my brother said, 
it wasn't me. And she's like, yes, it is. It's you. My mum was saying that because she was freaked out. But the truth is no one touched it. And uh, this is the music that my dad will listen to. It was almost as if their father was still lingering around the house, that even despite his death, he still found ways to make life difficult for Jessica's family. Realistically speaking, however, what was probably happening was that they were still dealing with the trauma and the aftermath of all those years of domestic violence. We didn't know how to cope with my mum's behaviour. She too suffered from massive trauma and she never saw anyone about it. So imagine living with a traumatised person day in, day out, and you're tolerating their criticism and their negativity. And then it definitely impacted my brother and uh, he just became very selfish and withdrawn. And it was so hard for me to connect with him. Like he wouldn't even share his food with me. He wouldn't even share his life with me. He wouldn't invite me to his birthdays. And um, even though he tried making amends once and it did help, but then he just resorted back to himself. Eventually, they did manage to sell the house, albeit at a less than ideal price, and they moved out of the so-called prison that they once called home. However, as Jessica pointed out, instead of the fresh start that they had hoped for, their family ties became worse, and soon enough, Jessica's brother became estranged and went his own separate way. As a result, Jessica would be left to tend to her mother by herself, which, yet again, proved to be quite the complicated affair. It was really hard for me to break free from her because there was such an extreme bond that we had. So I felt guilty to leave her and my best friend at that time she said to me that you know why are you putting up with this you do so much for your own family that they don't even appreciate you why don't you just leave because obviously you're not happy and I was so resistant to taking that on board because I'm like but you know what's going to happen to my mum you know how is she going to pay this and that I felt really guilty to even consider the option But I thought to myself, my happiness is far more important than this and I can't live like this anymore and I can't have an abusive relationship with my mom where I'm constantly swearing at her. That's not the kind of relationship I want to have. At this point of the story, I frankly don't know what to make of it anymore. On the one hand, you kind of feel bad for Jessica's mother, but then again, you also have to remember that she was as much victim as she was perpetrator in that prison that they used to call home. What Jessica was essentially doing was threading over the very, very fine line between filial piety and personal freedom and development. Do you be the good daughter and stay by your mother, even if it makes you unhappy? Or do you take this opportunity that you've never had and try to break free? So I decided to move out and my mom wasn't happy at all. She was angry. She was crying. And I felt bad, but at the same time, I had to stand my ground and say, look, mom, I just can't do it anymore. So I moved out and rented um, a suburb next door. That's when I was able to live in my own freedom. And... uh, That's when I started to lose weight. That's when I started to do self-development. I started to be more independent. But at the same time, I still was not happy with myself and with my situation. 
Sure enough, living the independent life wasn't all sunshine and roses for Jessica. She stayed in a shared rental location with high turnover, meaning that she had to deal with plenty of strangers and their living habits. She invested huge sums into a dress business that failed and lost some more money later on in a couple of property scams. And then, at the age of 29, a few years after she had moved out, she hit her lowest point. So at that point in time, I was living in denial. I lacked a lot of confidence within myself. Even though I was progressing, I lost weight. I gained my independence back. I was starting to see a coach, um, self-development, to start going deep within myself. But it was still not enough. Like I was still self-sabotaging. And in relationships, I was dating men who disposed me, um, who just saw me as a sexual object. And at that point in time, in 29, when I hit the lowest of my low, I was broke. I only had $100 in my bank account and I was dating a married man. And so I thought to myself, you know, why on earth is my life getting worse? <laughs> like, why is it getting worse when I'm trying to get better? But then, at the depths of her despair, Jessica finally sees the light at the end of the tunnel. At that point in time, when I had my last private coaching session with a relationship coach over the phone, she said to me that, you know, Jess, you did this to yourself. And I'm like, wow, like the penny just dropped for me. I, I just couldn't believe that I was living in denial this whole time, that I was living in illusion, thinking that this dress business will make millions, thinking that this married man will want to be in a relationship with me, thinking that I will live a life that I truly love by slaughtering myself into a business that's not profitable and doesn't light me up. It's just about making money. So I was reliving my dad's life, basically. For me, that was a light bulb moment. I finally woke up to myself. I finally snapped out of my um, victim game. And I've realized that this is actually the truth in all this, that I was not doing myself any favors. It's funny because, you know, I was on this journey to being independent, but I had to hit rock bottom for me to find myself in those moments of truth. And this is where the healing journey began. It didn't begin in the beginning of the coaching sessions with her. It began right at the end. And that's when it started for me. So from then onwards, uh, that's when I could start diving deeper into my trauma because at that point in time, I wasn't ready to go that deep yet. The way I see life now is that there is no coincidence and there's no accidents in life. Whatever happens is meant to happen. And I believe I had to go through these experiences in my life, the family that I was born in, raised in, the relationships that I actually chose to be in, all those experiences has helped me see the light at the end of the tunnel. And please, uh, if you would, could you share how that healing journey was like for you? 
I'll be honest, it wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess, you know, just having a hundred bucks in your bank account <laughs> and it's like, wow, I'm very limited in what can I do to heal myself or to work on myself because I can't afford uh, my coach anymore. And that was my last session with her. Mm. So I had no choice but to feel the feelings that I numbed myself from, to feel the pain, to feel the anger. I had to work myself back up. I guess someone who has experienced a lot of trauma in their life, they create this barrier with people because they can't trust them. That there's this fear that they would be humiliated by them or they would be used or disposed of because that's how the trauma was created in mm. their upbringing. So for me, it's like I really had to be humble and willing to be vulnerable to ask for help, financial help, emotional support, um, all these kind of things that I normally don't do because I had this faith where I'm too good, I'm strong, I can do this, but deep down, I can't. I was just in a lot of pain and shame. And so like the first step I had to do was well, financially, to um, turn myself into Centrelink. They provide um, welfare payments for those who are struggling financially. Mm. Um, And so I had no choice but to receive those payments because there's no way I could pay my rent. So I guess that was the first step. And the second step was that I had um, a couple of male friends who were helping me out and I didn't even ask for anything. They just said to me, here, I'm happy to lend you a hundred bucks. Um, here I'm happy to pay for your groceries for the week and from then onwards I built myself up by doing casual jobs eventually into full-time work where I pushed myself to work in corporate I I just I started to change my mindset I decided to change the way I felt about myself and you know when I hit rock bottom I thought to myself I never ever want to put myself in that position ever again. So I worked so hard to work myself way up and I was no longer on Centrelink payments. I'm in a place where I live on my own. I can afford a lot more things than I could in the past. I am now in a loving and conscious and healthy relationship with a man who loves me for me. Whereas in the past, I attracted men who were just like my dad or like my mum, where they played the victim or they were holding on to this um, emotional baggage that they had about women and relationships. And for me now, it's so different. Like my relationship with my man is so different. Like he's very chivalrous. He's very generous, he's very sweet, he's so supportive. I've never been in this kind of relationship before. You know, there's times where I felt like I just want to break up with him because he's, he doesn't tick these boxes or I want to break up with him because he doesn't, he, you know, he's weak in this. And for me, like, you know, being in this relationship is a learning curve because it helped me see how I can sabotage love how I can sabotage something good again. But this time I have a lot more awareness on it than I had in the past. 
To me at least, the saddest part about stories of broken homes or broken families is how it continues to play out, how it never just ends with one incident or one departure or one death. The burden of the broken home is more often than not carried by the victims and plays out in stories like Jessica's, bad choices, unhealthy behavior, avoiding problems, and so on and so forth until inevitably the cycle repeats itself and claims more victims. Fortunately, in Jessica's case, she took active steps to prevent the cycle from repeating. It wasn't easy for sure. She had to break away from the family home. She endured failures and poverty for a period of time. And she had to work hard to confront her demons in order to start the healing process. But today, Jessica is in a much better position than before, thanks to all that hard work. For someone who went through so much trauma and hardship to be in a current position where she helps others with similar backgrounds is really no small feat. And as we got close to the end of the interview, there was something that I just had to ask. And so just to sort of close off this interview, right, I'm I'm just wondering, how do you feel about, you know, all that's happened, your parents, your upbringing? How do you feel about that now? Do you still harbor any resentment, any, you know, ill will? You know, being brought up in such a tough environment, there's always continual healing that's needed Mm. uh, because that's, you know, it's just a lot of trauma that one can go through. For me, there was a lot of resentment that I had towards my mom because I felt betrayed by her. And I felt our relationship is getting better and better. It's not 100% there yet, but it's definitely better than before. And to me, that's, you know, progress is enough. It doesn't, you know, things doesn't have to be perfect. Um, I guess, you know, just recently last month, I gave my mom a letter in Chinese, and this is the second letter I've ever given to her because we have a language barrier. Mm. So I said to her, just read it when you get back home. And um, what I wrote in that second letter is I finally told her the truth in how I really feel about her and about the past. So I really expressed my raw feelings. I expressed how angry and resentful and disappointed as in her as a mum. And, uh, yeah, I just told her the honest truth in that letter. And at the end of it, I in that letter, I said, I don't want to hold on to these feelings anymore. And I just want us to have a healthy mother and daughter relationship. Mm. And from that letter, when I saw her this month um, after Chinese New Year for Yumcha, she was, her behavior was so different. She wasn't so negative. She didn't criticize me at all. And she, she was so giving. She wanted to give me the red pocket and I insisted no, um, but she <laughs> wanted me to receive it, and she paid for lunch. So I just saw a massive difference in her just for me to express myself in that letter that was so raw, even though she didn't say anything about the letter, but what I got from that experience is that she understood why I was the way I was. Like I, I felt my mum thought of me as someone who's hot-headed, who has anger issues, I felt my mum saw me as that kind of person. And yeah. I feel that the letter has clarified why my behaviours were the way they were because she didn't understand what I went through. 
Yeah, and that's um, you know, I wish you all the best in your journey to continually heal and grow, and then uh, I wish you all the best with uh, mending your relationship between you and your mom. Thank you for that interview. That was really wonderful. <laughs> and so, with that, brings the end to this episode of the Screwed Up Moments podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and much, much thanks to Jessica Go for sharing her incredible. Incredible story. I still have goosebumps just thinking about the roller coaster journey that she's had, and really just how far she's come in healing her trauma. If you would like to get in touch with Jessica or check out her work, you can do so over at lifeinconfidence.com. I will be leaving the links in the episode description. With that being said, the Screwed Up Moments podcast is brought to you by the Singaporean Social Enterprise Happiness Initiative, an organization that advocates for happiness and well-being. Through their message that happiness is a choice. Production and editing was done by me, Danny Cordy, on behalf of Fable Productions. Episode music was sourced from Blue Dot Sessions, and the theme song was composed by Rico Lowe. If you enjoyed listening to the Screwed Up Moments podcast, you can help out the show by sharing it amongst your friends, or by subscribing and leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you have any questions, suggestions, feedback, or if you have your own Screwed Up Moments story to share, you can drop us a message through the email dkoordi at fableproductions.com or through the various social media links in the description. Once again, this has been your host Danny for the Screwed Up Moments podcast. Reminding you that it is okay to fail, and it is okay to try again. Thank you for listening.